The disclaimer for the morning is you're about to hear what I call a holster message. It's not a total holster message, but it's, there's enough of it in there for me to label it that. What is a holster message? Well, a holster message is five messages that I wrote back in the late 90s, early 2000s that I kept in my holster. And I could pull them out at any time. If I was ever in an event and somebody got sick and they needed a guest speaker at the drop of a hat, which did happen one time, I was ready with one of my holster messages. So some of these stories that I'm going to share today, you might have heard already. Some of the scripture references and in, in the spiritual points I'm going to try to make, you might remember I made a couple of these maybe last year around September. Because here's the deal, next week is really heavy. And I say that based on our culture, not on our spiritual walk. For many of us, next week is just a matter of fact, this is the way it's going to be. But that message couldn't be this week. It had to be next week. You need to hear this first. I almost feel like this is a prerequisite for some people here. Why? Why? Because I think our vision gets limited. The Bible talks about the lost being veiled, they can't see. Jesus over and over says, what, what do you Christians have that others don't? What do you got? Eyes to see, ears to hear. You have eyes to see and ears to hear. Do you guys remember? What is the greatest movie that highlights the state of Iowa, in my opinion? What, do you, what is it? Feel the Dreams. Feel the dreams. My one of my favorite sub-characters in that movie is the brother-in-law, played by Timothy Busfield, red-haired brother-in-law. What did he tell his sister and his brother-in-law over and over and over again? They were going down the wrong path. They had to sell the farm. They were going to lose the farm if they don't sell it. How could you plow under your corn? And then what happened at the end of the movie? You guys remember the, the revelation moment? I call it a conversion experience right there from Hollywood. All of a sudden, Timothy Buffield could see Shoeless Joe Jackson and the other players, couldn't he? Now, if you've never seen this movie, I'm leaving you in the dark and I apologize. I'm assuming that we're in Iowa. Everybody knows this movie immediately the Timothy Busfield character turns and says, Ray, you cannot sell this field. Because he finally saw something that was so abnormal and outrageous and, and, and incredible. The greats from the 20s, 30s, and 40s are playing baseball after they're dead on a field in Iowa. And how many of you are walking around telling Ray Kinsella to sell his field right now because you can't see the players? And when you do, those of us who can see the players, how little credibility you have. You can't see the players. We're not, we're not selling the field. And when you can't see the players, you say stupid things to those of us who can see the players. Does this make sense? Knowing the words when we talk about them. Knowing the context knowing the meaning for our lives, all three of these come together. And my job, and I'm going to be held accountable by God himself, is to share with you these truths without apology, without turning back, trying to make it as nice as I possibly can, but there comes a time where we got a fish or cut bait, and we're there. Next week, I'm not even sure it's still legal in America for me to share with you what I'm going to share with you. But i got to share it with you anyway. Next week... Next week is to strengthen those who can see the ball players. And if you can't see the ball players, come talk to us. We love you. 
We want to share with you why we see the ball players. And if you can get a conversion experience and see them too, we're going to celebrate. Angels in heaven are going to rejoice. But if you choose, you can't see the ball players. You're not going to convince me to go blind with you. It's never going to be that way. So don't waste your breath. The title of today's message is called, Thanks for Listening. You know why? Because that's the catchphrase we use for everything back in the day. When you're in the public eye and radio, back when radio used to be something, it's not much anymore, but back in the day, it used to be something. And people would want to meet you when you were on the air. And sometimes people would want to meet you just to criticize you. And sometimes people would meet you just to try to puff you up and tell you you're better than you really are. Sometimes people become fans, and fans sometimes are off-putting. Sometimes they're joyful. It's like, this is so cool. I touched this guy's life or this gal's life. They're with us. My job every day alongside my wife is to put our marriage in front of thousands of people. No pressure. So when you would come, we would be ready with a thanks for listening. Because you could tear us up or you could build us up, and it didn't matter. Thanks for listening still covered. Yeah? So, I'm going to give you an example now. This is very important for you to understand, especially you judgmental types, and you know who you are. Whenever you have a room full of people who come together for an event, they will arrive in various states of mind, and those people will have to, what I call, shake off, or attempt to shake off whatever circumstance, good or bad, preceded them into the space of the event. Now, don't, don't lose me here. Stay with me. This is important. You and I do this as well. We all do it, okay? It, it, it doesn't matter whether we're attending a sales conference, a worship service, or a sporting event, or a movie theater. We all arrive with some emotional presence or pressure, either good, bad, or otherwise, and we attempt to clear ourselves of this in order to benefit from whatever we are attending. Did that make sense? I'm going to give you eight examples. I know three would suffice, but I want to go eight. There's a reason for it. Stay with me. One person is walking into the, to a generic event with a skip in their step after just receiving a phone call. They're going to be a grandparent for the very first time. Another just read a text saying they lost the appeal. Better prepare for the worst. Another is still reeling from a call last night that a loved one in a distant state is diagnosed with stage four cancer and has days left. Another is holding hands with the love of their life after arriving back from a vacation retreat that changed everything. Another comes in and can't stop talking about how much they dislike their boss, and, and this dominates them to the point that they're not even enjoying the simple day-to-day -day joys. Another is holding back tears as they again struggle with the past of love lost and yesterday's bouts with regrets, which still has a dark cloud clinging to them as they pass through the event doors. You with me? A couple more. Another is beaming inside from getting the promotion this week that comes with a hefty raise, and in really in their mind, they know it's going to change everything. Another is devastated by a recent pink slip out of nowhere and is trying to hold a brave face. But all the while, the crushing debt and the future unknown is more than they can put in their mind, so they arrive numb to the world. Now, these are just a few reasons why we must try to have a forgiving attitude especially in traffic. Because you just don't know. You just don't know. I want to use these types of examples to put into practice listening to the voice of God and listening for the voice of God. 
Did you hear that? Thanks for listening. For you and for me, do we hear the voice of God? Are we listening for the voice of God in whatever circumstance we're in? Now, it's my belief that the event described, if the event that I described is an actual worship service, and these people are coming into a good ground church, and the person walking in is a child of God, they may have a tremendous advantage, they will have a tremendous advantage to harness their state of mind, whatever it may be, and become ready to hear from the Lord. Now, those eight examples I gave you, we could add yours and make it nine, couldn't we? Because you got something. I know you do. I got something. We all got something. See, there's two things. The child of God will, should, could have a thankful spirit attached in the midst of any of those things I mentioned above. Do you remember Johnny Eric? Those of you who have seen the movie Bible Idiots, Johnny Erickson Tata in that movie, she says she's not thankful for her wheelchair, but she said, I'm thankful in my wheelchair. Secondly, singing praises to God in a good ground church, in whatever tone, whatever melody, whatever, it will change your thinking, feeling in that moment. That is one of the reasons why praise singing is before the word of the Lord as it's preached and has been on the Lord's day for generations in the Lord's house. Why? Because it works. Did you not see the example Jesus gave you this morning? We have a a much different vibe today than we've had in the past. Was it better today? No. Was it worse today? Absolutely not. Was it different? Yeah. I was here what I consider one of Brian's best days, and we were singing praises to God, and it was awesome. And I will always love Brian. And I, and I hope to God, that, and I pray to God that he's got a plan for Brian and Sherry in the future and that he can continue to use that talent. I'm so blessed that I got to spend a year with him. But today was really good, wasn't it? It was different. And it doesn't take a back seat to the best day that we had here with Brian. It doesn't. Now, can we compare those two? Well, I like this better. I like that better. I, no. Appreciate both for what they are. They are singing praises to the one who we came to make his name great in a good ground church. And I'm telling you right now, I could put the most monotone relative I have up here under a 60-watt light bulb, and if their heart was right, we would all sing praises to Jesus, and it would be outstanding. I can also put Eddie Van Halen up here on one side, and I can put uh, Josh Groban on the other side, and pick, pick another person, another musician you hold in high esteem. Those are, the two, those are my two. Best guitar player I ever saw was Eddie Van Halen. Best singer I've ever seen was Josh Groban. We could put them here, they do their very best, and God's not in it. Not gonna be worth nothing. See, it's not, in, it's not in me, it's not in these people, it's in Jesus making his name great. There's one thing going on in this church you guys need to be aware of. We have a furnace room down the, down the hall, and it's, it has nothing to do with HVAC. At 9.15 every Sunday, Peter and Linda Simpson host what's called a furnace room. They build heat for this service, and that's the intention of it. They're praying that God would bless this service. Emily came out of the furnace room. She said, man, it was good in there one time. One time. And I preached a basic sermon that took off and affected dozens of people, which is like Woodstock here in Harlem. <laughs> it is. 
do you think that my message was better that Sunday than it was the Sunday before, the Sunday after? I'm going to tell you no. In fact, I don't even know how you all get anything out of anything I do, to be honest with you. It's God's power. He breaks through. It works. So let's get into the points of the message today and the various scriptures that justify and enhance this truth from God today. We're going to be a lot in um, John chapter 10. but There's other various scriptures as well. So uh, buckle up. Let's do it. Point number one. Point number one is the key for your Christian walk. If you don't have this, we need to talk. My sheep hear my voice. That's Jesus talking. Now, my favorite story, if you haven't heard this story before, I'm pretty, I think I would have had to have told it. I've been here a year. This happened in June of 2005. Emily and I were already doing morning shows by then, so we, we got this story when it first hit. In June of 2005, in Turkey, shepherds were eating their breakfast, and one of the sheep jumped off a 45-foot cliff to its death. As they looked on, they were stunned as the rest of the flock followed. In all, 1,500 sheep mindlessly stumbled off the cliff. The only good news is that the last 1,000 were cushioned by the fall of the growing pile of sheep who jumped first. According to witnesses, 450 sheep died that morning. Now, you open your Bible and you start reading. And all throughout the Bible, human beings are often referred to as sheep. Psalm 100, Isaiah 53, Matthew 9, if you're taking notes. Look it up later. Easily distracted and susceptible to group influence. Sheep would rather follow a multitude of sheep than the wisdom of their shepherd. The Bible also describes sheep in a positive way. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's John 10, 14. Look at it. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Those sheep who know the good shepherd's voice will not follow the voice of a stranger. Let's go to John 10, 3 through 5. Just look at these scripture verses with me. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4, when he has bought all his outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. Verse 5, they will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. So, how critical is it that you hear the voice of the shepherd? Very critical. Very critical. Very critical. This is how it goes. These caves is where the sheep would stay at night in the fields of Judea near Bethlehem. If you've ever been there, you see the rolling hills. Some of it's built up now, but you can, you can imagine. They still do shepherding over there to this day. And you've got 76 sheep. I got 82. Our neighbor has 65. But there's only one cave in the general area for night, and a storm's coming. So we bring all of our sheep into the cave. And when you walk into these caves, the caves are bigger than the room that we're in right now, but there's only one little doorway. So what do the shepherds do? They lay down in that doorway at night. Now you've got roughly 175 sheep in this, in this area milling around together, laying down. It's, it's night. In the morning, the first shepherd gets up, and he walks out about 15 yards from the, from the mouth of the cave, 
and he says his call to the sheep. Maybe his call is, hey, sheepy, sheepy, come here. So he says, hey, sheepy, sheepy, come here, and he's the one that has 71 sheep that are in there. Guess what happens? 71 and only his 71 come out that hole. The others don't go in. They don't follow the voice of a stranger. If you are in that cave and Jesus is standing out and says, hey, sheepy, sheepy, come on, do you go? Or do you tell yourself, I'm not sure if that was meant for me. My truth doesn't have to be his truth. See, the big question for us is which shepherd are we following? Are we following one another? Are we following maybe a self-centered shepherd? Or, the voice and distri- or, or, or do we have the voice and distinction of the good shepherd in our hearts all the time? Well, with all the noise in the world, how do I know? He gave us his word. The easiest way to lose your voice of hearing the good shepherd is to have somebody take God's word and set it aside and say, it's not all that it's supposed to be. Trust me, it is. In John 10, 11, it says this, I am the good shepherd, The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 1 Peter 2.25 says, For you were like sheep going astray, but you now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, our challenge is to avoid the mistake of sheep who blindly followed one another off the cliff. We must make it our daily purpose to ask ourselves, are we listening to the voice of the good shepherd and are we truly following him? Now, some of you, by your own admission in meetings with me, have said that you don't feel like your faith is very strong at all. That's a good place to be in, is to know that you're on the weaker side of the spectrum so that you can eat God's word, feel yourself with God's word, and you will grow. Some of us have grown for so long, our stalk is hanging over, and we're kind of, you know, you've got to be revived. Let me give you an example. When a Christian who claims Christ, acting as a sheep jumps off the cliff of it's all about me, my consumer attitude is what this is all about, what does that truth mean to me, how do I process it is all that matters, our shepherd has a response for you. Do you want to hear it? It comes from Luke 9, 23. And Jesus said to them, you can just hear the smackdown in this. Then he said to them all, he said to them all, get that, if anyone wants to follow after me, Johnny and Joni smugness, let them deny themselves, oh, take up their cross daily and follow me. I just don't know if I see it that way. Nobody cares. Stop talking. Stop talking. You don't know what you're talking about. And you're hurting people. So how is it done? That's great, Chris. I, I, I believe you. I need to hear the voice. I need to pick up my cross daily. What, what does that mean? Not only can I not do that, I don't even know what you're talking about. Let's get into it. Point number two. This is how it's done, the voice of the shepherd, how it's brought to us or broadcasted to us is God speaks through revelation. We all listen to the voice of someone. As humans, this is inescapable. 
an old school philosopher by the name of John Donnie. He passed away in 1631, so he wasn't around during the interweb. He wrote, no man is an island. But in our culture in the 70s, Simon and Garfunkel came out with, I am a rock, I am an island. Tom Petty then followed that up with, stand me up in front of the gates of hell and I won't back down. Sorry, Tommy boy, you are backing down. You passed away, and if you died in your sins, you've done back down. I hope to God you came to Jesus before you passed away. You follow? Jesus really doesn't care how full of ourselves we are. His truth isn't going to change. He still, with forgiveness and love in his eyes and hope in his eyes, reaching out to the very lost of us, saying, I'm here. I've done it. Take it and live. I just don't know if I see it that way. See, we come into this world listening to the voice of our mother and father. As children, we hear the voices of relatives and friends. We, growing older, we listen to teachers and preachers, newscasters and commentators. In adulthood, the cacophony of voices that bend our ear can be staggering in the information society. There is no end to the voices to which we can listen. Such has been the case for centuries. Luke records in Acts 17 the early intellectuals trying to be intellectual for intellectual purposes. I've hung out with these folks. And they like me up until I say, hey, could somebody open the window and let some smugness out of here? Um, At the core of a lot of the intellectuals I know, you want to know what their biggest fear is? being known as a non-intellectual. Their significance is wrapped in up in being the smartest person in the room. And so when they meet a knuckle-dragger like me that can hang with them, it bugs them. It bugs them really bad. Acts 17.21 says this, Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Now, there's a point, however, where we must stop listening and start acting. And we should be clear, the voices to which we listen will affect the decisions we make and the actions we take in life. The Bible teaches that there is no action taken by man without there first have been a thought in that person's heart. Right? I pointed in my head and said heart. I just noticed that. Do you guys pick up on that? I'm in the moment. I'm going to give you the same verse in two translations to make this point. Matthew 12, 25, or 35. All right? This is Jesus teaching us why we are the way we are. It says this in the King James Version. A good man out of good treasure of the heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Now, I understand that it says man there, but they mean person, okay? Uh, let's go to the CSB, same verse. Next, next slide. Same verse, a good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. Okay, do you see the different translations? What's going on here? We're talking about treasures of the heart. We're talking about storeroom of the heart. It's the same thing. What we believe will affect how we act. We don't act in any way without first having thought about it, so our actions reflect the voices to which we have been listening, and the voices to which we have been listening become the conventions that shape the decisions of our lives, whatever directions our lives take. Did you get that? 
Because if you didn't get that, the next part's going to be really hard because I don't even know if I can explain the next part with words to make sense. So prepare to watch my mouth fall down the stairs over the next five minutes. I'll tell you when we get there because I need you to know because it's that hard to explain. But the truth, once you, once, you, once you get it, it's like, oh, you can't unget it. You follow? So that's where we're headed today. So look, if we're honest with ourselves, we will confess that there is no such thing as unconventional thinking and unconventional wisdom. Especially young men, you want to have this, some guys that get caught up in that they want to be mysterious. It's like, dude, you're not mysterious, okay? Just be yourself, okay? There is no new thinking that can be done that hasn't, in some shape or fashion, been done. We are drowning in delusion in our country, and I'm going to bring that up next month, or next week, um, about how over the last 24 to 48 months, we have lost Something We are now thinking that we have this new revelation, and we don't. It's called delusion. We're watching our country and our world be deluded as we speak. And next week, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you living in exile in Iowa in September in 2023? Are you now in exile? Do you know what the law of the land is? See, Koheleth, in the book Ecclesiastes, many people call him Solomon because maybe Solomon took the pen name. That's what most people believe. But he has an essay on ethics in Ecclesiastes. And before he uncorks that essay, he says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He says this. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new, It has already existed in the ages before us. See, it is a deception to think that my thoughts are objectively unconventional or objectively just my own. It's not in my notes, but 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that the temptation you're going through is common to man. This used to torque me because I wanted to be more than common. I wanted to be better than common. I mean, I'll take 51%, but that's better than 50 or 49, isn't it? I wanted to be at least a little bit above average, minimum, in anything I did. And we want our thoughts sometimes to feel like they're so special, like we're getting this divine revelation. No, even your temptations are common to man. And let me tell you something. When you want to try to push to be elite and you fall for some common run-of-the-mill temptation that takes down average or below average men and you're getting taken down by that same thing, well, guess what? Some guys like me say, no, 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 no more. No more. I'm not succumbing to that because it's common to man and I want to be, and I want to be an uncommon man. I want to be an uncommon husband. I want to be an uncommon pastor. Not just weird, but uncommon. More of you should have laughed at that. (laughs) I'm stalling because I don't want to get to this part. Here we are. All right. Now, whether we consider, consider our thoughts conventional or not depends on what? What voices we are listening to. And even this is only our perception whenever our thoughts are conventional or not because in the final analysis, there are only two voices. There are only two conventions that exist. 
there are only two voices in this world that truly speak. The voice of God and the voice of Satan. Oh, the devil made me do it. Where do you think that comes from? It comes out of this truth. See, the voice of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God in our life, the voice of what is righteous and the voice of what is air, the voice of righteousness and the voice of sin, these dogs are fighting right now all around us. Satan speaks with many voices from many places and with many advocates appearing as if he has multiple ideas and multiple choices. This is called pluralism. Now, while it appears to be wise, it is a deception. It is a deception. It is a deception because truth cannot exist in the confluence or synthesis of multiple thoughts. Now, what does synthesis mean? It means combination. It means blend. It means union. Okay? So if it is true that truth can only be discerned in the combination, blend, union of plural thoughts, then one of those thoughts from which truth must be discerned is that truth cannot be discerned through combination, blend, and union of plural thoughts. Show of hands, who got that? All right. When you have less than 10%, you want to review. Listen, and I got this from Frank Turek, so write his ministry and complain. I joke. If it is true that truth can only be discerned, can only be understood, can only be grasped, if it's in a combination, in a blend, in a union with a bunch of other truths of plural thoughts, then one of those thoughts in that mix would be, must be, that you cannot form truth from multiple thoughts and multiple combination blends and unions. In other words, somebody says, absolute truth does not exist. You can say, is that true? See, because if it's true, it's an absolute so that statement can't be true. Do you follow? It's called deception. We must conclude that pluralism is inherently self-contradictory and that truth can only come from one voice, namely the voice of God. Whew, made it through, barely. But we're on the other side now. So how do we hear the voice of God? There's only one way to hear the voice of God and thereby know the mind of God, namely through the revelation of God's mind by his spirit. If someone can know the mind of God outside of revelation, I'd like them to explain how. Scripture says that no man knows independently from revelation. The mind of God except the spirit of God reveal it in him. I have so many red flags that go up when somebody says that they had special revelation from God. Now I know God speaks to you. He speaks to me, he speaks to my wife, he speaks to all of you. But if he gives you some divine revelation apart from Scripture, that's unscriptural. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says it. For who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Indeed, no man has seen, i.e. understood God. It is only the Son of God who has declared him. John 1.18 says this. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. 
You starting to see it? Starting to see how easy this is and how great this is? The only way to know God's mind is if God reveals his mind to man through inspiration. 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. And there is only one inspired source of truth of the mind of God, and I covered it last week. It's called the Bible. To those who are looking for a voice to listen to, I'm telling you that of all the voices, we need to listen to the voice of truth as found in the Scripture. The voice of pluralism or the voice of truth, you've got to decide. May God help us learn that true wisdom comes from listening to and obeying God's truth. Now, we sit here and I say that. Have you ever put skin on that? Have you ever fleshed that out? You don't know what that looks like? Exactly the opposite of what you're thinking right now. Because we think that wisdom comes from listening to and from obeying God. And when we're obeying God, we're doing right things. And that right thing shouldn't cause pain. But it does. Sometimes standing firm on what God has called you to do will cause other people to recoil from you. And I used to care. I don't anymore. And the reason I don't care anymore isn't an unloving thing. It's the most loving thing I can do for you. Because if I start caring, what I start doing is capitulating and trying to make everything right. Emily calls me a fixer. As soon as there's a problem, I want to fix it. Everybody sit down. Let's make sure everybody's nice. Okay, my kids get along together. I have to fix it. God has told me, not in this season. I didn't come here to be a fix-it man. I came here to tell you what the Bible says. And as long as I stay in that that lane, my like-minded guys who brought me here, they're going to stay with me in that lane. And we're inviting you to join us in that lane. And people who aren't in that lane are welcome to join us, but if they're not, they're still welcome here. We're still going to love them. But understand, you are nothing more than Timothy Busfield telling us to sell the field. You get that? So before you open your mouth, if you don't know Jesus, understand that. And then when you do understand that there are mature Christians here in this good ground church that want to explain it to you and there's nothing you can say that's going to offend any of us. Because many of us, not all of us, but many of us have walked where you walked. Titus 3, 3 through 7, that's my my verses, man. One time we were foolish, disobedient, arrogant, all kinds of things. And then it all changed, not because we did anything, but because Christ loved us while we were yet sinners and died for us. Let's get to... The whole reason why I'm up here, why we're doing this, point number three, it's only five more minutes and we're done-ish. I don't know. I might get, get windy. Point number three. Preparing for an unavoidable destiny. The why of hearing the voice of Jesus in our everyday life. This is the why. You have an appointment to stand before a holy God who is your creator. That's coming. That's coming. Look, in medieval times, a king would often have a jester to entertain him, to cheer him, uh, cheer him up. When he was sad or troubled, the jester would tell funny stories, perform tricks, and do almost anything to amuse and distract the king in his most difficult moments. This person had a name. The jester had another name he went by. Do you know what it is? He was known as the king's fool. 
And as the story goes, a certain king enjoyed his jester's performances very much, making him laugh so easily. One day the king handed the royal scepter to the jester and said, if you ever find a fool greater than yourself, give this scepter to him. Time passed. The king grew deathly ill. Feeling very melancholy, the king called for the jester, hoping that he could make him feel better. When the jester arrived, the king said, Ah, jester, I fear that I'm about to depart upon a long journey. The jester says, Have you known about this journey for long? Yes, I, I have, the king replied. Then the jester asked, Have you prepared for this journey? No, the king replied. I'm afraid that I have not. Then handing the royal scepter to the king, the jester said, Then this belongs to you, for you are a greater fool than I. Wise are those who prepare for appointments that they know they must keep. Two such appointments that each and every one of us must keep are death, unless the Lord comes first, and the judgment to come. The Hebrew writer tells us in chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, judgment. Have we prepared ourselves for this appointment? Because of his great love, God sent his son Jesus into the world that through him we might be prepared for these unavoidable events that each of us will keep. So I don't care whether you like me or not. I don't care whether you like my wife or not. I don't care whether you like the bride of Christ or not. And I will fight you at whatever level you want to fight. But know this. You will not attend this church for very long and not be able to stand in front of Jesus Christ and have him point at me across the way and say, that man told you. That man told you. I ain't going down in flames with y'all. Hey, you know, many times I went to the principal's office as a kid. I know you're shocked. I can see it on your face. I ain't going down there with you when you're acting a fool in class. I'm separating myself from you. I used to not do that. I used to go down with my buddies. I mean, somebody, you know, we all went down together. It was almost like a, I don't know. It was almost like a, and it, a, a proud thing. Yeah, we got in trouble at school today again. We were so stupid. But when my friends were doing something that was stupid and I wanted them to stop and they wouldn't and we'd all get in trouble and go down to the principal's office, that feeling, that feeling of, dude, you should have not, but I can't because we live in the same neighborhood and I don't want to have to fight everybody, so I'm going down to take my punishment with you, that feeling, I ain't rolling with you all that way. I'm not going to roll with you guys that way. If you do not want to get on board with what Jesus has called us to do in this society, uh, you're more than happy to be here. We want you here. We want to teach you. We want, to, we, want, we want to be around you. But understand, if you come with your consumer Christian mentality to me, you're not going to get a warm reception. You're not going to get me doing some self-reflection. Should I really have said that that way? I don't care. I got one mission. I'm trying to do it to the best of my ability. And if you haven't figured this out yet, y'all didn't hire a Rhodes Scholar, Okay? Y'all didn't bring, you know, Johnny Biblical Scholarship to town. You brought the Bible idiot to town. And I don't apologize for taking this gig because God sent me here. And some of you, some of you next week, especially after next week, you're going to maybe want to turn 
And I'm telling you right now, don't. If you are called to be part of this church, it doesn't matter, then you need to stay. And if sharing the truth upsets you so much that you would rather cause problems than, than join with us, then by all means, let us bless you on your way out the door so the door remains open for you to come back. That's all I'm trying to do. That's all we're trying to do. We have two things, two arrows in our quiver. That's it. Justification, sanctification. You get justified in Jesus Christ, you stand before a holy God as if you've never sinned. And then in your infancy, you start to grow, and we're here to help you grow. That's it. You want to get into the deep mysteries of God and solve all these things? I'm not your guy. Why? Because the Bible says don't get into that because you're not going to figure it out anyway. Don't waste your time. Okay, Lord. Here it is. Hebrews 8, 28. So also Christ, having been offered once to bear sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvations to those who are waiting for him. On the cross, Jesus bore the sins of the world upon himself. He paid the price for our sins. Do not let that become white noise. I'll never forget the moment it hit me like a ton of bricks. It was 2013. I was driving in Michigan. I'll never forget the moment. It hit me literally where, I mean, the car wobbled. I almost pulled over. It hit me so strong. I did keep driving, but here's the point. Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. Jesus raising from the, gra- from, from the grave over victory over death had become white noise, had become second nature, had become whatever. Don't let that happen to you. Because from that moment to this, I have been much more alive in Christ just remembering that I took him for granted. And when you don't take Jesus for granted, guess what else you don't take for granted? Others around you. See, on the cross, Jesus bore the sins of the world upon himself and paid the price for our sins. We receive the benefit of his sacrificial death by faith. Romans 10, 9 through 17, Hebrews eleven six. 6, if you're taking notes. Repentance, confession, Acts 17, 30 and 31. And then you go get baptized, Acts 2, 38. And again, we preach that baptism doesn't save you, but good old-fashioned obedience of baptism representing going down in Christ's death and coming out into new life in Christ and never living the same way again. Why? Because you now have eyes to see and ears to see and ears to hear. You can see Joe Jackson playing baseball. You don't want Ray to sell the field. Make sense? So here it is. The why we live our lives different and don't care about who knows it. Who doesn't like it? Who laughs at us? Who says boo about it? We'll be walking in the light as he is in the light through a life of obedience to God's will. Now you say, Chris, five minutes ago you just said how stubborn you were and you were almost celebrating that. No, I'm pointing to this. It's so important. It's so strong. There's nothing that you can do or say that's going to not make me see the ball players that Jesus put in my life. Does that make sense? So you can call me arrogant. You can call me whatever you want. Like I say... If you want to make this about me, you miss the whole point. 1 John 1.7 says this. If we walk in the light, 
as he himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. Why? Because if you miss this, then the big smackdown's coming. And I'm sorry, but I've got some people that I consider to be my premium enemies. I mean, these people are, I don't know, maybe it's too strong of a, of, of a thing, but garbage in my sight. But if this, what I'm about to read to you, happened to them, my heart would break. Like the old convict who heard the gospel and told the missionary, and I've told this, and this sticks with me daily, so I share it with you a lot. He's in England, he's hearing the gospel, and he tells the missionary, he said, if what you're saying is true, mister, then you should be willing to crawl across all of London on broken glass to tell your worst enemy. And here's my, my ministry, my mission. We're all called to something. My ministry for the last 25 years has been to people who go to church but who don't know Jesus. Have a semblance of godliness but don't know the Savior. Now, do these people exist? Jesus says they do. And I am desperate that you guys aren't one of them. Matthew 7, 21. In my opinion, the biggest smackdown in all of Scripture. Because it's coming to those people who are claiming Jesus but don't know him. They added him to their life, but they didn't surrender to him. 721 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Who's that? Who's saying, Lord, Lord? It's the church people, right? Will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's who he's talking about. Now, I, I challenge you to go read verses 22 through 24 of that, ver, of that chapter 7 of Matthew. Because what you will see is you will see the most horrible words in all of human history written there. Jesus turns to people who claimed his name falsely. And he says, step off. I don't know who you are. To those who have obeyed the gospel, and Hebrews 9.28 says this, eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. That is such good news. That is such good news. In the middle of the most frustrating family ordeal that a person could go through, in the middle of the most frustrating career thing a person could go through, in the middle of the most tough relationship thing or financial thing or physical thing you could go through to know that Jesus is going to appear a second time apart from taking away my sin and this time it's for my salvation. How do you not get jacked about that? But listen. No remedy remains. There is none if you die in your sins and enter eternity without God. It's this simple. It's one sentence. You ready? If Jesus does not bear your sins, you bear your sins yourself. I got to carry this up to my office afterwards. Jesus says, I'll carry it for you, and if I, you let me carry it, you'll have eternal life. No, no, I got it. Well, you do know if you carry that up yourself, you're going to be still in your sins and God will not welcome you. God cannot be in the presence of somebody as filthy and sinful as Chris Danielson. You ever say that out loud to yourself when you're driving or even in your head? No one is filthy or sinful as, and then you say your own name. Try it. 
You're going to be amazed how truthful that is. Then you give it over to Jesus, and he carries it for you. He bears your sins because he is the only one who was perfect that is eligible to be sacrificed. And then he willingly laid down his life. That's amazing to me. One of the most amazing things to me in Scripture is Jesus is hanging on the cross, and these guys are at the foot of the cross shouting insults at him like the, the, the high priest. And they're just ripping into him, and he's, he's got the power with the blink of an eye. He could have ripped their arms out of their sockets and beat them with it. That's what I would have done. Some of you would have done the same. Oh, not me. I'm just a forgiving person. See, I've said this to you before. I don't know how to say it any better. I, it comes out of my mouth so much because I can't stop talking about it because it's the greatest thing I've ever known in my whole existence. Because Jesus died a sacrificial, willing death as a sacrificial lamb, going willingly to the cross, he was the perfect, spotless lamb of God. When he died, his blood covers my life, and his victory at the resurrection over death, hell, and the grave means this. This is what it means. I'm going to be stood in front of a holy God, and that God is going to look at me, Chris Danielson, in my fullness, as if I'm perfect and I've never sinned. Who doesn't want that? If Christ is not bearing your sins, you're going to take it on yourself, and you lose Free win, instant loss. This is, the, this is the game that is being played all around us. And God is trying to make it as simple as possible, as easy as possible, as loving as possible, and we in our sinful nature love our darkness more than light. And I'm going to show you that next week. So knowing all these things, let us ask ourselves, are you prepared for your unavoidable destiny? Well, let me tell you, there is hope in Jesus Christ for you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you today and we ask your blessing. We ask you to open our eyes. We ask you for us to joyfully receive this message today, that these are your words to your children, and that we would grow strong for the times in which we live, and yet we would smile and pray for each other and love each other and encourage each other in only ways that you show us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at FreshRoadMedia.com. We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris a weekly download from freshroadmedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener-supported, and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today, and may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.